Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Anybody could argue that the Steelers went through the 2020 season with three, maybe four, pretty good NFL wide receivers. But do they have a true number one? And maybe more important than that, does it matter? Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Steelers. I do one of these every Monday through Friday, bright and early. If you're into hockey and or baseball, I also offer up Daily Shots of Penguins and Pirates. Same channel, same everything. Deontay Johnson was, by every reasonable definition, the Steelers' number one receiver in 2020. And that applies whether you take it by statistics or even by the, you know, the the vague concept of the number one receiver, the lead receiver on the team. He led the team in yards. He led the team in targets. And when you lead the team in targets, your quarterback's telling you who the number one receiver is because he's throwing the ball your direction more often than anybody else is seeing it. But a number one receiver, let's, let's, let's start with whether or not the Steelers have one. Deontay Johnson had 923 receiving yards on 88 catches. It's, I mean, that's a nice season. That's a nice season. He also missed a game in there. And then, of course, you'll recall that he was benched for half of a game, which wasn't exactly <laughs> uh, something that... He wanted, because that happened as a result of his drops. I don't know if you realize this or not, but he his 15 drops were number one in the league. No one else even had as many as 13. And most of those, you'll recall, happened in one really grisly stretch that forced Mike Tomlin to keep him on the sideline for the second half of a game. Looking at the rest of his numbers, he had seven touchdowns, which you know the, the team leaders tied were Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster with nine each. He averaged 62 yards receiving per game. Uh, these things don't jump out. They don't scream number one receiver. Uh, he didn't rank in the top 40 in the NFL in most receiving categories, and yet, again, he was clearly the number one. You can argue that it's smarter and more effective, particularly for a quarterback who isn't throwing downfield, to have lots of different options. You could argue that it's, to everyone's credit, that the yardage totals 
were as close as they were. Deontay had 923, Claypool 873, Juju 831. And for that matter, James Washington, who really should have played a lot more than he did, had 392 on 30 catches. along with five touchdowns. That is a pretty good, there's that terminology again, receiving core. But would the Steelers and Ben be better off by just focusing on one or two guys? This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by our new partners at Fubo TV. If you're paying around 200 bucks a month for cable, as most of us do, Fubo TV is 65 bucks a month to watch all the same channels with an emphasis on sports, and now including AT&T Sportsnet Pittsburgh, meaning you can watch all the Penguins games, all the Pirates games, and you've basically lost all your excuses to hang on to cable. For our listeners only, go to FuboTV.com DK to get 15% off your first month. One more time. FuboTV.com slash DK, 15% off your first month. We've seen around the National Football League that some of the better teams, including two of the best teams in the AFC, rely very heavily on a single receiver. Kansas City obviously does that with Tyree Kill. Buffalo does that with Stephon Diggs. But eventually, that caught up to both of them. Once teams realized, hey, if we do everything that we can to take Diggs out of the game, which, by the way, is something that Keith Butler should have figured out up in Orchard Park, and as we saw in the Super Bowl, I mean, Patrick Mahomes had all kinds of issues that day, primarily that his offensive line couldn't block anything. But Hill was taken out of the game. Hill wasn't even visible until the second half of the Super Bowl. So you can make a very easy argument that you should be spreading the ball around and that's the way to go. And, you know, that applies also to the tight ends and the running backs. You know, the more the merrier, right? Well, I don't know. Because for a team that struggled as much as it did on third downs in particular, third and fourth down, I want that go-to guy. I want that guy that uh, you know that you've got to play there if it's absolutely needed. And I'm not feeling that the Steelers have that out of this group, in part because I'm not sure that they're allowing it to happen. You know who I think should be the number one receiver on this team? Yeah, Chase Claypool. Now, not to be anointed as such. Claypool had his own issues. He had some drops as well. He had issues getting off the line of scrimmage. He had issues, particularly later in the season, which is a little bit curious, but maybe not considering he was a rookie and had never played that many games before. But he had issues using his hands to fight for the football. We didn't always see him really, really battle for the ball. You know, James Washington style. But he can and will get physically stronger. Everyone has acknowledged that. The whole... Uh, Mapletron, Megatron, whatever thing, was only going to apply once he got more bulk to him without sacrificing his speed and his agility. He does need to get physically stronger, particularly with his arms, his wrists, his hands, and he needs to fight a lot harder than he did 
for a 50-50 or a 40-60 or even a 30-70 football that's up in the air. But he's the guy I'd like to see them lean more toward because what you saw from Claypool, particularly when he was on his game and, and early and he was fighting and he was fresh and everything else, was that he could do anything. He could stretch the field. He could go in a straight route like Martavis Bryant, Mike Wallace style. He could come back to the football. He could do things spontaneously. He could make guys miss once he caught the ball. He could do those quick slants but turn them into something. He did reverses. He did end arounds. He did a lot of different things, and he didn't show the fatigue that maybe you would have expected from a rookie. Sure, again, there was some drop-off as the season went along. That's kind of to be expected. But even within that, you continued to see plays that made you go, wow, really? Because he has that kind of talent. As for Juju, we've been over this, and we could go over it again and again and again. He led the team with 97 catches, but had 831 yards to show for it. One of the lowest yards per catch figures of any starter in the football. He just didn't make anything happen. And if you go back to Juju's rookie year and you think about some of the plays that he made, they weren't necessarily bombs. When he would have those big touchdowns, how did he get them? Do you remember? Yeah, somebody would just, well, not somebody, Ben would just flick him the ball at a certain spot on a field, and because everybody was paying attention to A.B., Juju would just take off. But he did take off, and he broke through people, and he pulled away from people, and none of that's happened the last two years. And unlike 2019, you can't blame 2020 on the quarterback because he was working with Ben Roethlisberger. I'm on the record as saying that I don't think they should make an effort, at least not a significant effort, to keep him. I don't care about his branding or anything else. And he, somehow he popped up in a Super Bowl commercial. This was the third best receiver on this team. I, yeah, <laughs> I just don't get that. I think his spot on the team could be seamlessly taken by bumping up James Washington and then maybe finding other depth options to take 13's place in that rotation. But you're still going to need a number one. I believe that. It, it not, not for comparative purposes, for fans to debate or whatever else. I just think this offense needs go-to options. When you go back and recall third down and fourth down situations. Okay, other than yelling at your TV screen to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. It's the modern NFL. You're going to have to have multiple ways to get that yardage. You're going to have to keep teams honest. And you need someone who's comfortable and confident in that role of being that first down guy. Maybe it's not any of these players. Maybe it's a tight end. I don't think it's Eric Ebron with all of his ridiculous drops either. Maybe it's a tight end. But if you go back over Ben's own history, 
He's always had one of these guys. Until recently. He had Heath Miller that he could count on. Money in the bank. Heath over the middle. Boom! First down. Then that became A.B. In whichever form you wanted it. Let's go before that. It was Heinz Ward. Heinz Ward was an automatic. You know that, that sideways pass that we all make fun of now? The bubble screen? You know who was the one receiver who pulled it off consistently? Heinz was. This offense in general lacks that comfort level, that confidence that I was just mentioning. It really does. And that needs to change in part by assigning responsibility, roles, and trust. It's not going to be everybody. It's not going to be a happy community of wide receivers. Pick one and run with it. When we come back, just one question. If you'd like to leave one, you can do that by visiting DK Pittsburgh Sports. Find the article that contains this podcast and leave it right there in comments. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George, LGKG. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents, who need help with workers' comp, who filed for medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG have been keeping promises in our region for over 80 years. Learn more about them at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. And today's Just One Question comes from Frank, who asks, Yesterday's podcast got me thinking, in the past 15 years, trading for Minka Fitzpatrick was a real shocker. Have they done anything else? through the Colbert-slash-Tomlin era that would be considered shocking. Just wondering if they could blow up Ben and make him retire, LOL joke. Okay, yeah, good, because that's not happening. Shocking. Yeah, the Steelers aren't generally associated with shock value, Frank, as you know. I'd have to say that the one time, other than Minka, which was the 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 headliner out of this group. And 15 years is too long, by the way. Let's just go like, I don't know, five, six, seven years or whatever, because 15 years is a long time. A lot of stuff's happened. And actually, Tomlin hasn't even been around for 15 years. The one that stands out to me as a moment, as a wow moment, was trading up to get Devin Bush. You had seen... The Steelers try so hard for so long to get someone uh, like a Ryan Shazier, and then they get Shazy, and then, of course, he gets hurt. And they tried multiple different guys in his spot. None of it worked. And you enter a draft pretty much knowing you got to get an inside linebacker if you're going to be taken seriously. You got to you got to get somebody. You can't have another draft where you let it go, which they they had done the previous year. And at the same time, you also knew from looking at that class 
that Devin Bush and Devin White were the two guys that everybody'd want. So the only way you're going to pull it off is to trade up, and the Steelers never trade up. They would never do that. And I remember we were actually having a a subscriber meetup up in the North Hills. And it was on the, the big TV there in this uh, big sports bar. can't remember the name of it. And when the screen flashes, because, you know, you can't hear the sound. Everybody's uh, everybody's talking and, and whatever else. And you see the screen flash, trade, Steelers trade up. And the place just erupts, right? And uh, Chris Carter from DK Pittsburgh Sports and I are there. And we just kind of look at each other like, whoa, what is that? Seriously? The Steelers? I mean, you know that they traded up at some point in their history, because that's how they ended up with Troy Polamalu. But that's Troy Polamalu, so you just don't think that it's going to happen again. You know, Troy is just Troy. And they knew something that nobody else did, and they were going to get Troy, and they knew somebody, somebody else was after him if they didn't move up, so they moved up and got him. But you're not thinking that way about uh, either Devin Bush or Devin White. So they trade up, they get their guy, and then afterward, you know, they they said some pretty strong things. They they felt that that Bush was the best guy, uh, and of course that raised some eyebrows as well, which is probably worth bringing up in this particular week since Devin White is a Super Bowl champion and really you know dominated that game. He and Shaq Barrett up front. Shaq Barrett arguably could have been Super Bowl MVP if not for. Tom Brady, you could have made an argument for White as well. But the point is, they 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 got their man. They circled his name. They said, this is the guy that we want. And they decided that they were going to move whatever heaven and earth was necessary to go up and get him. Um, that would be my shock thing. Um, other than that, forcing Troy into retirement, I would say would be up there, Frank. Um, that wasn't as public. Uh, it became that way eventually, so maybe it doesn't have the same impact uh, as something that, you know, like the Bush trade where everybody's watching it. But I think that one kind of surprised me a little bit too. I kind I, I felt like a lot of people did, like Troy did for that matter, that they'd let him retire on his own terms. Uh, but other than that, man, <laughs> you know, finding shock value with the Steelers isn't going to be any picnic. Thanks for the question. Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll do this again tomorrow. At Point Park University in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, they understand there's no substitute for real-world experience and career-building connections. Their innovative curriculum engages students with distinctive experiential learning opportunities. Point Park's pioneering co-op program empowers qualified students to work in full-time, paid positions with their corporate partners while earning college credits. Visit pointpark.edu works to learn more. Career ready. That's the point. Point Park University. Your front door. Your car. Your gym locker. Your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.